I'm Eva Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. Today, we're airing a very special episode of the show to highlight International Women's Day. And I'm thrilled to introduce my guest, Peggy Whitson, the NASA astronaut who has achieved the most days in space for any man or woman in the world. With a total of 665 days in space, Peggy also holds the record for the oldest woman spacewalker and the most spacewalks by a woman. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Peggy Whitson is a biochemistry researcher and a retired NASA astronaut. Today, she's a consultant for Axiom Space, the company building the next International Space Station. She's been selected as the commander of Axiom Mission 2, the second all-private astronaut mission to the International Space Station, set to launch in May of this year. On her next space mission, she'll become the first female commander of a private space mission, adding to her accomplishment as the first woman commander of the ISS, the only woman to serve as ISS commander twice and the first woman non-military chief of NASA's astronaut office. Peggy was recognized as Time 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2018. Please note this episode with Peggy was recorded before the AX2 mission was announced. Here is my conversation with astronaut and AX2 space mission commander Peggy Whitson. Peggy, it's such an honor having you on. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm happy to be here. You guys sound like you have a great podcast going on. Thank you. And I'll jump right in. We're actually speaking in, in you know live from Houston, um, where a little bit of magic happens for anybody working in space. And the first thing I want to ask you, I've read that you decided to become an astronaut after watching the moon landing on TV, uh, you know, in 1969. There were not that many women astronauts at the time, as we know. So curious to know, uh, I'd like to hear more about your journey and also people who inspired you along the way, uh, you know, knowing that there weren't that many women astronauts carving the way yet. That's right. Well, it's very true. There weren't women around. I mean, in the U.S. program, there were no women at all. But uh, watching that moon landing when I was nine, I think was one of those pivotal points in my life where it was something that really stuck. I it it was something I wanted to do. Uh, I you know I was a very shy young kid though, so it's not like I was telling a lot of people, "Hey, I want to be an astronaut," you know. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what that meant or anything. But a year later, my father uh, got his pilot's license, and I got to go on my first airplane ride mm-hmm. in a Cessna 150. And I think that kind of kept that kind of idea and inspiration alive in me and uh, I really did want to become an astronaut again I Mm. wasn't telling anybody and Mm. the first person I told actually was my mom uh, in 1978 uh, when they picked the first female astronauts there was a big news article in our our Des Moines Register paper in rural (laughs) that was the only one we had and and it talked about those first female astronauts, and that's when I told my mom I wanted to become an astronaut. Mm. Um, of course, I had no idea what was involved or what it would take or the odds against it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, maybe that was a good thing. Right. Being a little naive sometimes. <laughs> yeah, a little naive, you know, you, know you, keep, you keep that, that dedication and, you know, forward thinking, uh, 
to continue on and persevere. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is not an easy process. For me, I started applying as soon as I had a PhD right. because I knew you had to have an advanced degree, mm-hmm. and uh, I applied for the following 10 years. Right. Before I, I was <laughs> before I was ever even invited for an interview. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people get invited for an interview the first time. They get they submit an application. Others, uh, you know, another guy that was selected in my class also interviewed over over those same ten years, and he was actually interviewed three times before he was finally selected. Um, but in my case, you know, I I didn't get interviewed for ten until that last selection cycle in, on the tenth year, uh, and was lucky enough to get in. Interestingly, after being on selection boards and picking other astronauts, it made me realize how lucky I really was to mm-hmm. have gotten in. There's right. so many, mm-hmm. you know, talented people out there, and it's very difficult to hone it down to the last few that that might make good mm-hmm. astronauts. So, Well, and actually I have a few questions that stem from that, but, you know, there's a beautiful story around you trying for 10 years and, you know, it's about resilience, it's about truly believing and going after your dream and your passion. Was there a point where you thought of giving up or, you know, what kept you going? I would say it's probably that farm-raised stubborn. I'm not really (laughs) sure exactly what kept me going, but uh, I do know that, you know, along the way I was told by some very famous people, you know, number one, Dr. James Van Allen told me maybe, you know, I should try and do something besides being an astronaut because, you know, it's kind of a flash in the pan thing and it's not really going to happen. And and then later on, a professor at the Salk Institute offered me a fellowship and I turned it down to take the fellowship at Johnson Space Center and he told me I was making the biggest mistake of my life. And you know, and in some ways, maybe having them say you can't do it was more pushing me yeah. toward trying harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but in retrospect, in looking back now, now that I'm much, much older, <laughs> I can say that those 10 years of rejection are the ones that made me the leader I needed to be in order to be selected as the first female commander on the station. It made me, gave me the experience working with teams and small groups and, you know, uh, less than optimal environments, right. uh, trying to set up a science program in Russia, you know, never have done, done that way before and no rules. You kind of had to work it on your own and f- just figure out the process. And mm. all of that really made me, I think, a much stronger candidate uh, once I was selected mm-hmm. to be the first female commander and also then to become the first female chief of the astronaut office. So mm-hmm. all of that was, you know, I can say now yeah. that those 10 years were good for me. Right. At the time, of didn't course, feel it didn't feel that way at all. I know I was like stomping my feet. Mm-hmm. I need to be an astronaut. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And had I been, I probably wouldn't have been in as good a position mm-hmm. to do those things. Yeah, so sometimes, you know, the weight actually brings value. Um, And you've mentioned being on the board that selects astronauts. So what what are the criteria? What makes you go, okay, and as you say, there's so many amazing candidates, I'm sure. And you're, you know, it must be really hard coming down to that shortlist who are going to make the cut. Right. So what what do you look for in those candidates? Well, the big picture cuts are, you know, are you... Do you have the right education, proper education and qualifications yeah. to be a, an astronaut? And then 
after you cut off the, those folks, then it's uh, a matter of looking through recommendations and seeing what people think of them or how, what their life experiences are. Does it make somebody stand out, somebody that maybe has worked in Antarctica or, you know, on a boat somewhere mm-hmm. or you know, just right. something in unusual environments because mm-hmm. that shows some adaptability. Yeah. And flexibility in where you live mm-hmm. because space, oh, by the way, is kind of an unusual environment. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to learn that, yes. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we we look at the resumes and then uh, before we call it down to the last 120 or so that we want to actually bring back for mm-hmm. interviews, then we talk to references and, mm-hmm. you know, get the real skinny on folks <laughs> of, you know, what do you think of this person, how flexible, adaptable they are, and all these things, and what makes them mm-hmm. a good candidate or someone that you would enjoy working with or not? Right. So in your case, what changed in that 10th year that made the board say, all right, we're going to well, pick her? So I, I also think it depends on what they're looking for. Okay. So the board's needs change each year. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you lost all your pilots, so you need more mm-hmm. pilots. Or maybe right. you lost all your medical doctors and you mm-hmm. want medical doctors. So that the needs of the core mm-hmm. change each year. And for that final year, when I finally was selected, they were looking to pick a class of astronauts that would be uh, doing research on board the International Space Station. And I had all the experience with the international partners and negotiations mm-hmm. and then uh, all the science. And so that, I think, made me made come to the top out. a yeah. little bit more than right. I had maybe previously. Mm. So, okay, you get selected, there is training, and then you took your first trip to the ISS in 2002. What did that feel like, finally being in space after trying to get there for 10 years, plus, you know, your education before? So what, what was that feeling sitting, you know, in the, in the shuttle taking uh, you up? It was um, euphoric, absolutely euphoric. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because you have you would think that well maybe my expectations are too great you know maybe I won't enjoy it or maybe it won't be as fun mm-hmm. or it, you know all of my expectations were exceeded after a couple of days in space flight it was more than I could ever have dreamed of and you know even imagined and so mm-hmm. uh, I was never at all disappointed I ended up being there the original plan was for a four month mission mm-hmm. I ended up being there six month and six months and mm-hmm. overall it felt like the mission lasted about two wow it was just flying by i was mm-hmm. having such a phenomenal time and the experience was amazing mm. um you were the first woman astronaut to command the iss and you know those kinds of firsts are really inspiring and you, you've had a long list of firsts after that but um you know focusing on that one first did it feel like a responsibility for fellow female astronauts and women in STEM in general? Did you did you kind of you know feel that that? I think, I think there was you know pressure that you know always as an astronaut you never want to screw up, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know and being uh, a commander gives you even more responsibility about yeah. not wanting to screw up. I think being the first female added some more. Right, just a layer more. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I people always ask me what was the most stressful thing that ever happened to you, and I was like, well, having a solar array break, you know, a month mm-hmm. after I was in command of the space station, you know, and 
and all the convolutions that we had to go through to repair that, that was, um, you know, the most stressful time. I, of course, didn't want to be responsible for bringing down the Inter- International Space Program <laughs> because of <laughs> something, you know. Yeah. And so, no pressure, but yeah, it was stressful. <laughs> and, well, and actually, the thing I wanted to ask is, you know, I often, in speaking to a lot of women leaders, what comes up is women typically have very specific Uh, traits or, you know, capacities, capabilities as leaders that we typically give us an advantage in certain situations and things like, you know, compassion, emotional intelligence, uh, you know, bringing in kind of that, 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 uh, the, the, the community around them. Um, what do you feel as a female astronaut, you know, are traits that really help shape, you know, who you could be in your, in your job? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I've never quite thought of divided myself out as female yeah i i think of myself as an astronaut Mm -hmm. and i i like to think about the characteristics of what make a good leader or a good good teammate uh we spend a lot of time in educating our astronauts about uh what we call crew expeditionary skills so we have all these really technically talented people Mm -hmm. But we're not necessarily all very good at talking about that emotional part or that, you know, more of a touchy-feely part right. of, of what makes us human. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think it's really important to do that training so that we all have the same vocabulary and we can discuss mm-hmm. when, you know, somebody's doing something that's irritating you and talk about how that's affecting yeah. me and, you know, how maybe we could do something a little different to, you know, mm-hmm. cause less stress to, you know, some other crewmate or myself or whoever and, you know, try and figure out the right balance to make things work out. Those those conversations are not something I think guys do as easily. Right. But even myself, I don't consider myself really good at that. Mm-hmm. And so it is it is something that you have to learn how to do, I think, in order to be effective. Mm-hmm. But those expeditionary crew skills are important for for any everyday life. Um, right. It's communication, it's teamwork, it's yeah. leadership and followership, and it's taking care of yourself, self-care and mm-hmm. team care, taking care of the team. And that, that group living that goes on, because up there we're living together 24-7 and yeah. you can't exactly escape. And yeah. so what, what, how do you take care of the group as a whole, um, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And some really important skills and uh, uh, something I think a lot of us got to figure out uh, during COVID, living <laughs> with the same people it's for an extended true. period. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Somewhat confined in two quarters. There's so. a lot of similarities, actually, not being able to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. I, you know, I heard an anecdote from from one of your missions about this the the suits worn uh, during spacewalks. 
not being fitted for a woman's body, right? So early on, obviously, there were more men astronauts going up, you know, women came next. So, and, and you know, hope, understanding these things have now been addressed, but were there other things that you had to figure out as you go, things that, you know, were not designed with women astronauts in mind specifically? Um, there's a lot of things that aren't designed with women in mind. I mean, you know, the toilet wasn't designed with a woman in mind. Right. And, you know, you have to figure out how to make that work. And uh, it's all doable, but, you know, it. Uh, I think our engineers, you know, are getting better at trying to understand that there might be differences. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, the the number of female astronauts is going up dramatically. And so that that helps bring attention to the fact that, hey, you know, this doesn't really work for us. Mm, Yeah. Well, and a lot more women working at NASA as well, right? Yeah, engineers as well, you know, so they have a different, you know, different perspective. So Mm -hmm. that helps. Uh, you, you brought up, you know, growing up on a farm in Iowa, and uh, there's a lot to be said about representation because just watching those few minutes on TV truly shaped your career and your future. Um, so do you feel you, you know, you have a responsibility to inspire the next generation of women astronauts, of women wanting to go in STEM? I, I have adjusted to that idea. It was not something I ever really thought of myself as a role model I've had to take responsibility for that because I am but it's it's definitely something I think I've had to adapt to that that idea that yes I am a role model Mm -hmm. you know you are you you think about the Sully rides of the world yeah and and other you know ladies that were trailblazers and Mm -hmm. I'm like I kind of guess I am I never thought of it that way and until I was in the situation you know it's like okay well Got to face up to this and deal. <laughs> when, when did it become real? Was I, it, you know, was it after your first flight or? You know, I actually think it was my second flight when I was commander of the space station mm-hmm. because there was so much more attention uh, because I was the first female station commander. And right. So I think that's when it was like, oh, wow, going to have to, you know, live up to this responsibility. Mm-hmm. And is there something you put in practice to make sure you're, you know, mentoring women in the field or kind of giving back in that way? Well, yeah, I, I've really, one of the things I've enjoyed most about training uh, astronauts is actually training the female astronauts mm. how to do spacewalks in a suit that's too big. <laughs> you know, trying to tell them my trip tricks and uh, tips for uh, trying to be successful when the suit doesn't fit. And, uh, you know, they'd ask me a question. I'm like, hmm. And I'd get in the suit. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Because you know, I've been in the suit so much, I didn't even necessarily know how I was compensating for the fact that it didn't fit me. until it, So I'd get back in, and they'd ask me a question, and I'd try it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing. Right. So then I could go back and explain it to them and help them so that they don't have to learn it all on their own. Hmm. And there must be a lot of, you know, it sounds like everything's planned out and so many engineers are, are involved, but there's still stuff that you have to figure out along oh, yeah. the way by yeah. trial and error, basically. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's why I think uh, tenacity is such an important part of being an astronaut. Not only do you have to be flexible, but you have to really be tenacious in order to uh, make things work when they don't go right the first time you know you have to be a problem solver you have to keep going when you don't have an ideal situation around you Mm -hmm. yeah so good lessons for life in general absolutely (laughs) 
So you hold many records and you've truly broken the glass ceiling and beyond. And, you know, we can use all the, the space puns and space analogies. At longest spacewalk for a woman, most spacewalk for, spacewalks for a woman, first woman in charge of the ISS. You had the record for a longest space flight by a woman until somebody else beat you to it. But, you know, you held it. And uh, you're NASA's most experienced astronaut to date. And my favorite of them all is that at 57 on your final flight uh, with NASA, that made you the, the oldest female astronaut ever in space. And I love that one uh, because it really teaches, you know, people who believe that women can do something in their late 50s or that our career is over. There's a lesson in there. And I wonder what would nine-year-old Peggy think of, you know, all these amazing accomplishments? Unbelievable. I still find it unbelievable. <laughs> I love that. Does is it does it is it starting to sink in? Does it feel more real? Um, I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I've lived it. I enjoyed it, every bit of it. But it is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And actually, another ceiling that you're helping break now is going back to space after retiring from NASA officially, yeah. and then you surprised the world. Although you had said you take you know the chance to come back. So you've been uh, consulting with uh, Axiom uh, and you're the backup commander for AX1 and the commander for AX2. What does it feel like being able to go back to space after, you know, retirement? I, I, it's it obviously very exciting for me uh, to be a part of a, a new program mm -hmm. to try and change where we're headed in space, um, being more on the commercial side of the venue. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's exciting for me to be part of that, that new aspect of space. Um, obviously, there's the selfish desire just to go back again because it's always will be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it is fun to be a part of something new. It's, you know, obviously, there's it's not without bumps in the road and, mm -hmm. Uh, that's what you would expect as we, you know, advance and develop our new strategies for how we work together with government and commercial agencies. And uh, but that's going to be important for future exploration of all kinds, mm -hmm. because we have to have uh, it's such an expensive endeavor. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to have much more commercial support, continued international support and uh all of this is going to have to be integrated into new ways of doing business. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's fun to be a part of this new beginnings. Absolutely. And do you think that, you know, this the, the future of private space missions is opening the door for more opportunities for women, whether it's women working, you know, behind the scenes, making missions happen, or even women being able to go to oh, space more? Absolutely. And it's because... Uh, with all these new companies that are coming up and doing things, Origin and Blue Origin and SpaceX, all these people are hiring. Mm -hmm. And it's not just NASA yeah. anymore. Um, you know, and I'm sure the same will be true in Canada as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it won't just be CSA and the robotics and all that. I think it'll expand there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And has it been, you know, this? we've talked about the, the amazing career you still have, did that, you know, how, when, with, with all of the flags that you've been on and now coming out of retirement work with Axiom on private missions, how, you know, are you able to have a family life, a personal life? And I love that we always ask women that question, but I'm curious to know, 
and I'm going to use a space pun, how do you stay grounded amidst <laughs> it all? Um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. My husband uh, works at NASA uh, even now, mm-hmm. and uh, he's always had that perspective of, you know, the mission, the priorities, and, I, you know, it's, he's understood my goals and objectives and been incredibly supportive. Uh, I think it's fun for him, too, uh, to see the, these changes as they're occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I couldn't have asked for a better partner mm-hmm. in life. So that made it, you know, that, that made the balance possible, basically. Yes. Even yes. though nothing's ever perfect when it comes to work-life balance. And if you were not an astronaut, what do you think you'd be doing instead? Well, I always wanted to work for NASA even before I was an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I worked at NASA for 10 years while I was applying. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, I always said I never had a real job because I was doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like I'm continuing the trend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, there's a pattern for sure. Um, what's the one thing you're looking forward to the most about going back to space like what's one thing you've missed um, well missing microgravity it, it's so cool to adapt to an environment that is 100 different than what the, mm-hmm. we have here on earth mm-hmm. all the rules that you've grown up with gravity mm-hmm. you you don't even realize how many yeah. rules there are right. until you don't have it anymore mm-hmm. and then adapting to that new environment uh is a lot of fun. And so I'm looking forward to just being there in microgravity again. I'm looking forward to showing my private astronaut crew, you know, what this experience is like and helping guide them through, you know, those initial phases of spaceflight. Of course, you know, I always play the joke on the new guy, you know, <laughs> and ask them to throw something across the room right. or across the module mm-hmm. because their minds don't know that they're not in, on earth anymore mm-hmm. and so they will inevitably compensate for gravity mm-hmm. and then whatever they throw will hit the ceiling right right because they're compensating for gravity that isn't there right and so that's the trick that's, on the new guys is yeah have them throw something to you in space because it, mm-hmm. it, it they it'll never get to you mm-hmm. when you come back from space how long does it take typically to feel like you're you know adjusting to normal life on earth again <laughs> It's gotten faster with the more missions, um, but it's, you know, between uh, one and three days uh, for the initial uh, motion sickness parts of the negative parts of being back in gravity. Uh, Some people get ill going uphill. Some people get ill coming down. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the one that gets ill coming home. Okay. Uh, But with medications, you know, you can get over that within a few days. Uh, But you still have lost, after a long duration mission, you've lost a lot of the small muscle coordination capability Mm -hmm. because those muscles forget. We do two hours of exercise a day while we're on orbit, so Mm -hmm. our our muscles are strong, your quads are strong, Mm -hmm. your biceps are strong, your back is strong, but being able to be coordinated Is you your ankles forgot how to work your knees, you know, right. the little muscles in your knees and everything, and you know, you have forgotten how to work your core is mm-hmm. not as strong and stable as it was. And so you have to reteach uh, those small muscles how to work. And we usually do 45 days of reconditioning after a long mm-hmm. duration space flight. Right. That makes sense. 
what's one lesson and I want to ask what your favorite lesson, but you know, something that you've learned in space and it can be something very practical. It can be something more philosophical or even spiritual. Well, I would say the, the most impressive part about being in space is the sense of perspective that you get. Mm-hmm. Some people call it the overview effect. Yeah. I don't think it, to me, it's not enco- encompassing enough for what you sense and feel. Mm-hmm. You look at the earth and you see humanity, with the exception of the handful of people that are with you. Humanity lives in this place Mm -hmm. on earth. And you see this relatively huge place that is everything to us. And it has a teeny tiny thin little line of atmosphere above it. And and it provides us uh, radiation protection. It provides us oxygen. It removes our carbon dioxide. And all these things that we're trying to generate artificially in space away from the planet are provided by this planet. So the sense of our planet as being the everything uh, is, is kind of overpowering. But then you look out to the stars and you see thousands and thousands and thousands of stars. And you're like, this is just our galaxy that I'm seeing. Yeah, and there are billions and billions of other galaxies, mm-hmm. and so the sense that we're not even a speck of sand in the cosmos. <laughs> you call perspective. <laughs> that is a perspective that is really uh, very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with fear? And have you, you know, truly? You've mentioned, you know, an incident on on the ISS, of course. But how do you, you know, what's your reaction? I when think you face fear. You know, the astronaut training, I think, is very good in the sense that you simulate really bad day situations. Mm -hmm. And it gives you, you do it over and over and over and over again, and it gives you a sense of, here's what my role is, here's what I have to be responsible for, here's what I need to do. Uh, And it may not be exactly that situation, but it gives you a sense of security of knowing I have a role to play. I need to make sure I'm doing what I need to do to help the crew the, and, you know, the vehicle survive whatever the situation is. And mm-hmm. so I think training is, I think, a huge key mm-hmm. in terms of making things um, less scary. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. some senses, I, I, you know, afterwards you can think about it and say, hmm, that was kind of close. Right, right. <laughs> But, but when you're in it, you're just you, doing yeah, what you have to do to so exactly. train properly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where that's where training is key. And in closing, obviously, you know, what do you want to say to a young woman or a young non-binary person who's <laughs> dreaming of becoming an astronaut? Well, I think I think one is find what it is that you're passionate about mm-hmm. and work hard to achieve whatever the you know, to be the best at, at that. But you also need to diversify and make sure you know how to live in different environments and do different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. But that working hard uh, on that passion is going to get you a long ways to uh, being in a happy life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I said, my path wasn't a straight line. Yeah. And I'm not sure most people's is. But right. yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to have it, that's great. But don't necessarily expect mm-hmm. that your path will be a straight line. And uh, just hang in there. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Mm-hmm. And you're the only one that knows what's right for you. Mm-hmm. 
You can't let other people deter you. You know, or you know, your parents might want you to be one thing or another. It's mm-hmm. what do you want to be? What do you have? You know, what's going to make the impact in your heart and your mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've proven that. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and an honor speaking with you. Can't wait to see you fly up there when AX2, uh, you know, launches. And thank you for all your advice and uh, sharing your journey with us. No problem. And good luck with your podcast. Thank you. And good luck to all the young ladies out there who need to dream really, really big. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.